Thank you for joining us here on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We have a simple goal here in Concord Matters, to seek unity in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it well in Romans chapter 15, that this unity and confession is indeed possible because the unity is not according to us. And he says these words, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. Because you see, the Book of Concord is not another Bible. We know that Scripture is everything, but we believe, teach, and confess that these writings are in accord with God's Holy Word, which is our only source and hope through Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today, as we look at the 12th article of the Augsburg Confession, I'm pointed back to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? We speak about repentance in a worldly way. We will often hear repentance as turn, turn, turn. One of my beloved members of my first congregation spoke about how he came to faith was a man came to him and said, turn or burn. Is that what we're talking about? Is that where it begins? Is that where it ends? How does this look? Where is Jesus? Where is forgiveness? How does this all come together? The Concordians were obsessed making sure that people understood the fullness of Scripture and the fullness of the Gospel, and that is what we will present to you today. So open up your Bible and open up your Book of Concord, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study on repentance or any part of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ this morning, we welcome back the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Richard, welcome back to Concord Matters. Hey there, Brady. It's good to be here. So, Pastor, tell us about uh, what's going on for you and the saints at St. Paul's Lutheran Church. Well, we are making it through the summer months, and uh, it's been a good summer. It's been a really, really good summer. I, I guess, personally, uh, we, my wife and I, we just uh, moved. Uh, we, we had... Uh, our, our house in small town Surrey. It was a kind of a, a bedroom community to mine it. And then we had a fixer upper house that we've had for about eight years, kind of a vacation house. And we dumped both of those and we got another property south of town, about three acres. Actually, we have the whole transition. We had three houses. So that was awesome on a pastor's wow. salary, having three houses at the same time. <laughs> it's like, you know, which house we're going to go to this weekend, darling, right? <laughs> so um, anyway, so it was, a, it was, God be praised. It was kind of a kind of a mess, but we got through it and and out uh, back to our roots. My wife and I out of town and and uh, yep, with a lot of wildlife and so forth. And so uh, personally, it's going great. Uh, church, we're um, we're in the middle of uh, state fair here in North Dakota next week, and and so our administrative secretary is printing five thousand brochures, and the copy machine just went kaput here this week, and so <laughs> we're getting those. We have a folding crew going, and so we'll, we'll actually have a little float in the state fair parade and we hand out 5,000 brochures for the church and that's good. So, and before we know it, we'll be back in the school schedule for us as a church. I mean, as far as a confirmation and so forth and all the families kind of back into school and uh, football season, I guess you would say. Absolutely. Well, like you said, God be praised. And and I just encourage you, our listeners, to continue to pray for your pastors, not only for their faithful preaching and teaching, but also those, those situations that occur like that, that you have, you know, just 
family situations that you have to figure out. Okay, how does this work? Where do I live? And and because when we leave, you know, we take our collar off and go home and, and be husbands and fathers. And so continue to pray for your pastors as they work through their other vocations that the Lord has given to them. And also the opportunities that come for something like the State Fair. In Minnesota, it's known as the Great Minnesota Get-Together. Is North Dakota like that too, where it's just tons of people will show up to these? Or how does that work in North Dakota? Yeah, you get you get quite a few people from the state. They kind of all uh, uh, I don't know if you say ascend or descend, but nonetheless they they come to Minot, and uh, you have all sorts of different booths and so forth. And and my my deal is always we, we walk in the parade, and we get in free if you walk in the parade. And my first stop is the uh, there's a nice nice Thai restaurant or Thai Thai booth, so I get spicy Thai food and and let the kids go on all the rides and just kind of walk around and take in all the uh, sights and scenes. So it's a lot of fun. I love it. I love it. I just go to cookies. I mean, Minnesota has these great cookies. That's all. I No spice for me. How about that? Nice. Nice. <laughs> all right. Well, we're here to study and confess the truth of repentance, which is Article 12. And I'm, I'm in the Augsburg Confession. And I'm very excited about this. One, because uh, what, repentance is one of those topics that we often, I would say, get wrong or it's severely misunderstood. And gives people a wrong impression of the Christian faith, but also there's truth that needs to be told. So today, as we look at this, I encourage you, our listeners, to really listen closely and make sure that you're looking at what Scripture has to say and, and how it all comes together throughout all of Scripture. This is very important, I believe, for every single one of us as the baptized. So as we look at the Book of Concord, we are studying from a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, Article 12 of the Augsburg Confession on page 37 of, from Concordia Publishing House. Like I said, Article 12, Repentance. We're going to begin by reading the note. The Roman teaching about repentance was the spark that ignited the Lutheran Reformation. When Luther learned his congregational members were buying indulgences, hoping to avert God's punishment for sins by paying money, he was incensed. Repentance is not about paying off God or make some satisfaction for our sin. Repentance is recognizing the reality of our sin and turning to God in faith for his mercy. God reveals our sin through his law. He forgives our sin and restores us to a right relationship with him through his gospel. While we affirm there is fruit of repentance, the focus of the gospel must be clear. Our sins are forgiven only because of Christ. Our lives in Christ are, are lives of repentance, returning again and again to the fount and source of all mercy, our Savior. Notice that all this article rejects any teaching that implies our works of satisfaction are part of true repentance. Article 12 strikes a fatal blow at the very heart of the Roman sacramental system. See also the Apology and other parts of the Confessions. Pastor, it's important that we always are looking at every aspect of these articles, especially repentance. How do you want to start us off? Well, I think I think first and foremost, we we should probably before we we jump into this understand uh, what the Bible, what the Apostle Paul talks about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Uh, just to say it simply, uh, when we talk about uh, worldly sorrow itself, um, you know, worldly sorrow is it, well. Think of it this way: Let's just say uh, you have. Uh, Johnny with uh, the cookie jar, right? And uh, he goes out to have uh, cookies, and he's not supposed to have any cookies. <clears throat> and he gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar. 
So the question is then is is he sorrel is he has sorrel because he was caught or does he have sorrel because he disobeyed mom and dad? And so worldly sorrel is the sorrel that I got caught. Uh, godly sorrel is that I, I I disobeyed God Almighty Himself. And that's an important distinction. First of all, I feel like we've had a, a cookie discussion before in previous uh, studies with you. But anyways, and then I'm thinking of cookies and state fair. So just I have to get through that a little bit as we go through this. But anyways, that when we speak of that. Um, explain that a little more according to scripture. And maybe there's other um, ways you want to unpack that because you're right. Are you sorry or are you sorry you got caught is how we speak in culture. And we, how would that distinguish from godly sorrow? Can you, can you unpack that a little more? I think that's a fascinating distinction. Yeah. So, so again, I guess it really comes down to are, are, are we sorrowful that we got caught, you know, uh, that, that we've been exposed before our brother, our neighbor, um, or are we sorrowful that we have sinned against God Almighty? So in other words, maybe we think of it this way. Am I sorrowful um, vertically or horizontally? And if I'm sorrowful before mankind, uh, that's one thing. But if I'm sorrowful before God, that's an entirely different thing. So let's think about this in a worldly sense. How do you see this play out? Um, let's just, obviously, you have the cookie jar example. But how do you see this play out in culture that many of us uh, will see quite often Um yeah. Can you give other examples or thoughts? So when you think about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, uh, just think of it from the perspective of, you know, a um, perhaps like a cookie jar, right? And so the kid himself uh, is told, don't eat any cookies from the cookie jar. And, uh, you know, mom, dad say that to him and he goes and he reaches in and he's caught. Now, the question is, 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 he, is he sorrowful because he was caught or is he sorrowful that he disobeyed mom and dad? And so we can think of it this way, too, is in the realm of, Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Am, am I am I sorrowful that I've been exposed before my fellow man? Uh, maybe think um, horizontally before my neighbor, or am I sorrowful that I've been what uh, caught red-handed before God Almighty? Uh, is my sorrow uh, beneath the Creator and Redeemer, or is my sorrow is my sorrow basically that I was exposed before my fellow man? And so we we can often see that um, with respect to uh, think about politicians. Every so often, a politician. Uh, will come along and uh, you find out that this politician is caught in some scandal. Let's just say maybe perhaps like a sexual scandal. That's usually kind of what comes out. And the next thing you know, there's going to be a press release and that politician, he comes out and he's in his nice uh, suit and tie and his wife is right there in a nice, nice dress. And the kids are all lined up and he stands before the microphone and he says, you know, I have I have failed against uh, my voters, my constituents, my wife and my kids. And then da da da, and I and the last time this happened, I don't recall who it was, but I was I was watching this, and I don't know if my wife and my kids were there. I said, okay, just wait, watch, watch, and see what happens. And he does this whole apology, and then there's a pause, and I'm like, and I lean forward, I'm like, okay, get ready, here you go, and I'm waiting for him to put a period after the confession, but then he paused, and then he went into a whole justification, and he started to justify why he did it, and I pointed at the screen, and I said. That is worldly sorrow. He's not sorry. He's sorry they got caught. Uh, in other words, when we think about Romans, the, the book of Romans, it talks about how our mouth will be shut. And so I would say that that, that the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow is worldly sorrow, uh, your mouth still runs and still what justifies. Whereas godly sorrow, your mouth is shut. And what I, a poor miserable sinner, have sinned and thought were indeed, and I'm, I'm, I'm done, and I'm, I'm out. And so... Maybe another way of thinking about this is 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 when my wife and I, when we have uh, uh, fights, we usually have a good knockdown, probably four 
maybe four to five, four to six weeks. She'll, she'll love that I'm sharing this online, right? On the podcast. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, you know, when, when I mess up, um, I, I know when I mess up. And then, then I come to her and I have to make an apology. And my wife is so wise in this. And uh, I'll say, you know, Serenity, I have, I have failed you and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I failed you in this, 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 this. And then I get done with my confession. And then she stops and she looks and she usually tilts her head and she looks at me and she waits. And what, <laughs> what is she waiting for? She's waiting to see if I'm going to what? Keep on talking. Because if I keep on talking, then she knows what? I'm not really sorry. I'm justifying. My mouth is still running. And so um, I've learned that, uh, you know, if I come before and I want to keep on talking, then it's like, I'm not really sorrowful. I'm sorry that I got caught and I'm, I'm, I'm not having godly sorrow per se. And so I would say that the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, godly sorrow is that I'm a poor, miserable sinner. I've sinned against God and thought word indeed. I'm done for. I'm at a ruin. Full stop, period. Worldly sorrow, I'm sorry I got caught. And here's a list of reasons why I'm really not that bad. I think that's a great that's a great segue for us to dig into the actual confession, the Article 12. We are now on page 38 as we look at Augsburg Confession, Article 12, uh, from the Concordians. And it starts with words that I think is very unique when we speak about repentance. Our churches teach that there is forgiveness of sins for those who have fallen after baptism whenever they are converted. The church ought to impart absolution to those who return to repentance. Jeremiah 3, verse 12. Pastor, I want to stop there for a quick moment. Because when you were to think about, we're going to talk about repentance, you think it will go right into this, turn. And then that would be the first word that is shared. But it starts with forgiveness of sins. What are your thoughts on why they did that and why that's important for us today? Well, we, we can think of repentance, um, you know, linguistically, right? And so that the idea of repentance is a word, right? To repent or repentance itself. Uh, repentance can be be thought of in a very narrow perspective or it can be thought very wide. And narrowly, we would think of repentance uh, as just narrowly as contrition or sorrow. But repentance itself can also be thought of, of much more broad, um, which would include contrition and sorrow for sin, but also the forgiveness of sins as well. Now, here's the problem. I, I would say that you can have uh, sorrow for sins, uh, per se, but if you don't have forgiveness, uh, then unfortunately you're just left damned in your sins. Um, and so we think of the difference between, obviously, between Judas and Peter. Judas and Peter were bo both sorrowful for their sin, but when you think of Judas himself, uh, how we contrast him with Peter, uh, Judas did not have the forgiveness of sins, did not uh, uh, faith upon that forgiveness of sins, whereas Peter did. And so uh, I think it's very, very problematic if you talk about repentance and you don't talk about forgiveness, then you only have one side of the coin. And here it speaks about it so clearly that often we, uh, let me take a step back. There was one time I met with a, a lovely couple on my travels as district president and we had lunch and they were talking about their life before they became Lutheran and, and they were good Christian people and they were, you know, believers of the scriptures and believers in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. But they had a situation where they had lived together before they're married and the pastor, God bless them, addressed them and said, you should not be doing this. You need to repent. And they, they agreed, he said, yes, we do need to repent over this. And he said, oh, good. And then, and then it kind of, okay, come to church Sunday. We're good. 
And he remembers that next Sunday he went up to the pastor after church and he said, so what do I do with that though? And he's like, don't worry about it. It's over. You repented. And he's like, yeah, but what do I do <laughs> with this? And he, that was a beginning journey for him that he did reference that our view of repentance just is so refreshing to him every time he hears of it. And understanding of the Lutheran view or the Christian view of repentance, always including the forgiveness of sins. And this is why, as Pastor speaks about this, and why the Concordians, when they read this, is clearly they are obsessed with that understanding of, now make sure there's assurance in faith, assurance in Christ, and assurance of a clear conscience. So, Pastor, as we look, anything else you want to highlight as we look at the beginning, which is very unique um, in the Augsburg Confession? Well, well, we'll get into this maybe a little bit later on, but I think I think the idea is this: is that you can have contrition and sorrow for sins, and uh, not have forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins and contrition uh, comes back to this distinction between law and gospel, obviously. And so, there's really two parts: there's a confession of sin, acknowledgement of your wrong. But then you need to hear the gospel, which is an entirely separate word, which is you are forgiven in Christ. Um, I forgive you. Now, we'll get into this probably a little later on, but the biggest biggest struggle is our, our, our confession of our sins does not merit uh, this forgiveness. In other words, if I'm really, really, really sorry, and if I cry, you know, so many cc's of tears, that doesn't make me so-called uh, worthy or merit forgiveness. I'm not forgiven because of my sorrow. Um, in my sorrow, I'm forgiven in Christ. And so the forgiveness of sins cannot be tied uh, or it's not caused because of my amount of CCs that I cry or even my changed life. The forgiveness of sins is always due to Christ and Christ alone who freely gives that to sinners who confess. I'm thinking about this too. That would be another distinction of worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow sorrow. They might keep talking, but also when they do stop talking, that there is no forgiveness. It's just simply, okay, don't do it again. But godly sorrow always leads us straight to the forgiveness we have in Christ. Is that is that a way to say that, or you have a different way? Yeah, you know, so, so okay, so, right, you, you can say, well, I put my uh, hand in the cookie jar, I'm going to steal a cookie, and then you get caught, and you say, well, don't do it anymore. You're like, okay, I won't do it anymore. Okay, so great. So now, has there been a turning? Yes, there's been a turning, uh, you know. Don't eat the cookies. So, all right, I tried to do that, but then I stopped and I'm not going to do it. Now I've turned away from the cookie jar. Fine and dandy, but what about the conscience? What about what about the forgiveness of sins? We all we've done is we've 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 turned from a bad thing to a good thing, but we have failed to deal with the actual offense. We've failed to deal with the actual conscience. We failed to deal with um, the conscience that's stricken with guilt. And then what can happen if you don't have forgiveness? Then you know, back to that cookie jar thing, right? So. Oh, I'm caught with a cookie jar. I'm not going to do it. Then you have to what somehow atone, right? Or to 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 remedy that problem, that mistake. And oftentimes the way we remedy that is well, I'm going to do a bunch of good things in order to compensate for the bad. And we spend the rest of our life um, trying to fix the problems of the past. Uh, you know, gosh, I'm reminded of a a, a movie, and it's, it's it's an older movie. Um, and and the, the doesn't matter the the name of the movie, but it basically, long story short, was at the very last scene. Uh, this guy comes out and he confesses that he he made a deal with the Nazis during World War II. And he said, I've spent the rest of my whole life trying to remedy that. Mm-hmm. So he felt he felt contrition and sorrow for selling out his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters uh, with the Nazis. And he made a lot of money on the hands of the Nazis. 
But then when that contrition happened, that sorrow happened, instead of having forgiveness of sins, he went to remedy it by doing a bunch of good works. And he's and he was like at the end of his life, and he's I've spent a lifetime trying to fix this. And you watch it and you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But the guy is trying to obtain forgiveness. And somewhere along the line, um, there was no priest or no pastor or so forth to pronounce the forgiveness of Jesus into his ears. Now think about the difference. If he would have heard about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, then he would be free to joyfully uh, use his resources and take what, what Satan meant for evil, God could use it for good, and then use those resources with joy and gratitude to serve those in need, not from the motive of trying to atone for sins. A drastic difference. So on the surface, you can look at this guy and say, what a pious, wonderful guy. Look at all the good he's doing, all the uh, uh, help he's doing to those in the community. Uh, but his motive for doing it is drastically different. He's trying to seek uh, a, a remedy to a guilty conscience. Whereas how much more joyful would this man be if he heard the forgiveness of sins in Jesus and would do the same thing out of gratitude? Let's continue on that note. Uh, in the Augsburg Confession, Article 12, we are in number three on page 38, where it continues, Now, strictly speaking, repentance consists of two parts. One part is contrition, that is, terror striking the conscience through the knowledge of sin. The other part is faith, which is born of the gospel, Romans 10, verse 17, or the absolution, and believes that for Christ's sake sins are forgiven. It comforts the conscience and delivers it from terror, then good works are bound to follow, which are the fruit of repentance. Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. Now, once again, he speaks of two parts, and it's, it's, in, it's just very interesting to me that this is part of that godly sorrow, because worldly sorrow kind of has one part, and you just never, like this gentleman you speak of, you're never quite sure if you're forgiven, because there's always more works to do. You're never quite sure you want to do your best, and and you hope that God would do the rest. Well, we know that God has done the rest in Christ, and that you live in that joy of the forgiveness of sins. What else did you find as he breaks that into two parts and what that means for us now? Well, again, we, we can speak of uh, repentance narrowly, like in a, in a more, more precise, narrow uh, definition, which would be sorrow and contrition. But then repentance is also more of a broader understanding, which includes that sorrow for sin, but then also receiving and believing in the forgiveness of sins, uh, the gospel itself. And so, uh, again, yeah, we, we want to understand, um, if we go down that road of confessing of sins, that sin needs to be met with something. And uh, for us as Christians, it needs to be met with the words of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. And if it isn't, oh my goodness, we can run into so many problems. Uh, again, back to the illustration of spending a lifetime trying to atone for our sins, trying to remedy it. Um, now, here's what's interesting, you know, and I think maybe, I don't recall if we've talked about this before um, on um, Concord Matters or not, but when we look at um, our absolution in our hymnal, the Confession Absolution, uh, when we go, at least here at St. Paul's, when I go into the uh, sanctuary with parishioners, we will be at that uh, altar, at that rail, and we'll confess our sins in thought, word, and deed, and we, 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 we label them, we call them out for what they are. And then I have the joy of, as a pastor, putting my hand on top of parishioners and drawing the cross and saying, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you of all of your sins. Now, here's what's so unique and so interesting of, of our liturgy. It, it basically says, if I can recall, it says, you know, go in peace. Mm -hmm. And then I tell the individuals, I say, okay, I'll see you. And many times parishioners say, well, 
do we need to go back in your office? I'm like, no. And, and, and I'm like, well, what? I'm like, get out of here. Uh, get out of the church. Go, go home. Go to work. Get out of here. And the reason why I do that is because if we have to go back in my office and talk a lot about it more, we're acting as if that sin really isn't forgiven. And so literally once I pronounce the absolution, whether it's in my office or in the sanctuary, I intentionally kick people out because I don't want to give the impression that there's more to do or more to say. You are forgiven in Jesus. Now get out of here because you're forgiven and you're loved completely. And basically, I'll see you on Sunday. And uh, let me know if anything else comes up. Uh, but this idea that if we were to go back in my office and have another further 45-minute conversation, I would then be portraying that that sin is still what? Still a, a condemnation upon them when it actually is not. I think that really relates to what they say at the end of the section that we just read. It comforts the conscience and delivers it delivers it from terror. And that is that's a good way to put it, is you, you forgiveness of sins, it is finished. You're forgiven, end of story, go in peace. Or as you would say right after that, leave. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a com- Who would have thought when the pastor tells you, get out of here, that there should be a comfort there? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there's nothing more, to, nothing more to be said or done. I mean, absolutely not. So it's, it's, it's uh, obviously get out of here because you're forgiven, right? That's right. That's right. Um, well, and then here's the other thing, though, too. And I think, I think uh, gosh, how do I say this? I think sometimes, you know, we, 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 we want to have a bold, like, you know, we, we want to see this, you know, we want to boldly confess our sins, right? Confess boldly as Luther, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, the Lutheran heritage where it's like confess your sins boldly or, uh, and I get that, that makes sense. But I think the absolution has to be confessed even more boldly. In other words, it has to be some grit, you know, you are forgiven, you know, Christ has forgiven you, now go. Uh, go amongst your life knowing you're forgiven. And and the devil has a way of, of taking our sins and dragging them out of the closet and, and bring them and dangle them before us. Um, but we need to tell the devil to go back to hell. And why? Because I was absolved by my pastor at the church at this time and place. And the words of the pastor were said in the stead and by the command of Jesus. And Jesus is Lord. He's been resurrected from the dead. And he stands true, saying all is finished. And so I'm forgiven. And so, again... If we don't have the forgiveness of sins uh, in the same conversation as repentance, we only have one side of the coin. I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break, specifically that the Concordians made sure that the words good works are bound to follow. What does that mean for us? But right now, as we take our break, we are studying repentance, Article 12, the Augsburg Confession, with Pastor Matthew Richard, and we'll be right back. military veteran, engineer, entrepreneur. These are just some of the former careers held by current LCMS pastors, careers that they left behind to serve congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. No matter the background, our Lord calls men who have a passion for the word and a love for serving Christ to be pastors, a sacred, joyful, and essential vocation. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about becoming a pastor, visit weareyourseminaries.org and put your experience and skills to new use in pastoral ministry. Visit weareyourseminaries.org seminaries.org. Welcome back. We are confessing the truth, the biblical truth of repentance with Pastor Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Now, Pastor, we ended our time. There is that reality of the 
the completeness of the forgiveness of sins, the joy that should be there as Christian people and the Concordians, as you said, go in peace. And that's the joy that we have. There's no um, leaving you dangling, wondering if you are forgiven. There's no, um, are you really type of questions that come up. Um, but it is unique that the Concordians were always also concerned about how we viewed good works. So they include this at the end of it, where it says the good works are bound to follow, which are the fruit of repentance. And that is from Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, when it talks about fruit of the Spirit. So, Pastor, as that's added, just kind of a little bit at the end, that seems very important to the Concordians. And why is that included at the end? Well, again, I, th I think the idea of fruit itself, fruit is a byproduct, right? And and fruit comes forth as a result. And so um, we have to be very, very careful that when it comes to the fruit of repentance, repentance itself, or the good works that flow, the good works themselves are not that which contribute to the forgiveness of sins, um, as if they initiate, or if it's some sort of barter system that the good works are done, and then that merits uh, forgiveness itself. Um, but but as a result of a person being forgiven, there's going to be fruits of that forgiveness, fruits of that confession, and that's going to be a clean conscience, a joyful conscience that is then free to serve one's neighbor um, without the burden of the the burden conscience itself. And so again, that uh, the the fruit of repentance is that which comes as a byproduct, um, as a natural consequence or natural result of being forgiven uh, in Christ. So, Pastor, before we get to the condemnations they have, and reminder to our listeners that one of the beauties that we have in the Augsburg Confession and all of our confessional writings is that we not only boldly confess what we believe, but also distinguish it from what we don't believe. This is a little bit counter what we do as Christians in today's culture, um, but it's very important that we make a distinction so there is less confusion and that we are clear in what we believe, and sometimes that requires us to look uh, at others and say, we don't believe that. And in love and care, we exhort and we confess the truth. But Pastor, before we get to that point, anything else you wanted to highlight in our first six uh, numbers here in uh, Article 12? No, I, th I think this is, uh, yeah, I think this is uh, good stuff here, what we're, we're capturing so far, that the distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, and then um, basically only hitting one side of of, of confession and then absolution, you know, um, if we only hit confession of that sin and we don't hear the absolution, then uh, nothing's really been accomplished. All we've done is just acknowledge it, then we're in the same place as Judas, and we want to be where Peter is, uh, confessing sin and hearing the absolution. Uh, so, you know, Judas is only one half of the coin, right? Confessing right. sin, being sorrowful for it, but not believing the gospel, not hearing the gospel, whereas Peter confessed and believed, and that's where we want to be as Christians. It's another reminder to, to you, our listeners, that go to confession and go to confession. And it doesn't end just in confession as it goes to absolution. As you go to your pastor, as you go to worship, make sure you cherish that time. Because in repentance, our Lord always forgives and the forgiveness comes from the hand of Christ. So we are looking at repentance and we are in number seven. And it speaks about different groups of which we they do not believe. Uh, when it comes to repentance. And I believe this very much so relates to our world today as well. Um, our churches condemn the Anabaptists who deny that those who have been justified can lose the Holy Spirit. They also condemn those who argue that some may reach a state of perfection in this life that they cannot sin. So Melanchthon and the Concordians uh, were against what the Anabaptists and others uh, were 
preaching and teaching at that time. How would you break that down? Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, um, yeah, we look at this, that uh, perfection, this life, well, it's, it's conversations I have many times with parishioners, you know, and it, it sometimes goes like this and very, gener- you know, very generically stated, you know, uh, pastor, I keep on sinning. Uh, why can't I stop? And um, the answer is, well, you have an old Adam and this sinful nature you're going to have until the day you die. And my, my concern is not necessarily uh, when somebody comes to me as a parishioner and they say, hey, pastor, I've, I've failed and thought word indeed. Um, I, I'm not I'm not taken back. I don't sit back in my chair and say, oh, my goodness, what's going on with my parishioners? I say, God be praised that the Holy Spirit is at work, that they would actually confess, that they would actually acknowledge their sin itself. Um, however, uh, the concern should be is when when we act as if we have no sin, uh, then that would be a greater greater concern, um, acting as if um, I've been perfected in this life. Um, Luther really hits this in the 95 Theses. He says that the life of the Christian is one of repentance, continually uh, confessing sin, acknowledging it daily. Um, because we daily, uh, this other guy named Ambrose, he said, because we daily sin, we daily need the medicine of of, of, of Christ and the, uh, the forgiveness of sins. And so this idea of perfection is just, it's it's not true. It's not reality. Um, and, and confession of sins is not necessarily a sign. Well, we definitely take it as a concern, but 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 confessing sin shows that the Holy Spirit's at work, bringing us to contrition, bringing us to the reality of what Scripture says about us, and then that opens that door for us to what uh, hear the gospel and to be abiding constantly in Christ. And it's interesting to me that as you speak about uh, those, the Anabaptists would deny that those who have been justified can, um, those who have been once justified can lose the Holy Spirit. So they deny that one can walk away from the faith, which is why, uh, um, which is why it's very important for us to to look at this and say, wait a second, people can walk away, which is another important piece of why there is repentance. So, Pastor, you talk about that because there's misunderstandings in that too. That well, once saved, always saved type of theology that goes into this as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so this idea of once saved, always saved. Uh, is problematic. I mean, uh, uh, in insofar as that, uh, if I'm once saved, always saved, then then what's the need of, of really repentance? I mean, really, I mean, I don't mean to be too too harsh when I say it that way, but but what can happen is is Paul speaks about this in his epistles about uh, searing your heart, and and um, if you think about searing uh, to sear a steak, right? If, if it, when I love to cook steak, I love to take my steak and put olive oil on it and a little bit of salt and pepper, and I turn the uh, grill up to about 700 degrees, as loud as it can go, and then I drop that steak on it, and it just sears it. It actually locks in the juices, <laughs> and, you know, puts a real hard outside on it. Um, and so for steak, that's actually good to do that. Uh, but for the heart, um, that's not good. So what can happen is you can harden your heart and sear your heart so that you're not confessing, you're not um, in a state of humility uh, before the Holy Scriptures, before the Holy Spirit. And then when you sin, you actually have that seared, hard heart that the Holy Spirit uh, cannot, uh, can we say, maybe penetrate or, or, or to, to bring to contrition. And then as a result of that, when you say, I no longer sin, I no longer have an issue, then if you're no longer sinning, then you don't have a, you don't have a need for Jesus. And if you have no need for Jesus, then you're not a Christian. And so you can go down that path of hardening your heart and searing your heart um, so that the 
Holy Spirit through the word will not bring one to contrition through the works of the law, the word of the law, and then ultimately to deliver the gospel to us. And then we live in what? Unrighteous, uh, unrepentance, which is a hard heart. And then we've actually separated ourselves from the vine, if you will, say it that way. And that's a key is how do we stay connected to the vine as opposed to trying to find our comfort in something else? Like, oh, I'm good. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm good now. And then your eyes, as it tells us in Hebrews, are no longer fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on ourselves or some other comfort or hope. Anything else you want to highlight with the Baptist and the other condemnation in this section? Well, anytime you go down the road of, of, of idea of perfectionism and I can't fall away, um, you, you see this with individuals. And, and I've, I've noticed this over the years where um, I will confess sin or, or this idea of, of promoting the confession of sin. Many of those individuals in that line of theology, uh, they will look at that as, as a failing Christian. In other words, uh, they will see Christianity going from being um, a complete pagan, uh, you know, rebellious and so forth. And then all of a sudden you turn to righteousness. And then once you turn to righteousness, then you kick it into fifth gear, high gear, and you keep on getting better and better and better and better. Uh, but the problem with that kind of mindset is then it does not allow for one to uh, confess sin and to to go to contrition. Um, and in other words, I, I would say that that our understanding of Christianity is not necessarily in an upward linear fashion, a uh, higher, better, uh, greater, so forth, but rather it's cyclical. I always talk about this at St. Paul's about how our Christianity is cyclical. Uh, for instance, if you look at Luther's morning prayer, he says in the morning prayer, he basically says to the effect, um, Lord God, be with me this day. Help keep me from all sin. And then at the end of the day, he says uh, in the Luther's evening prayer, uh, Lord God, forgive me for all my sin. And we pray this over and over and over every morning. Keep me from sin in the evening. Forgive me of my sin. In other words, it's cyclical. It's a circle. And so uh, to progress in this life is to begin again. It's always coming back to Jesus, always coming back in repentance and contrition to hear the forgiveness of sins in Christ. Uh, whereas problematically, if we think that we're getting higher and bigger and more perfect, uh, oftentimes that can lead us away from Christ. Well, let's keep moving forward in the other ones. Now, I'm going to admit this in number nine. I don't know how to say this group. I've been practicing, trying to look it up. Do you have any insights on the Novations or Nava something? What? Any idea? I have to confess my ignorance. I, I don't. Um, I'll just go for it. He said, he said, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my goodness. So you kind of that panic as a pastor. And it's like, it's better just to be honest. Like, no, <laughs> I don't know it. So we're just going to, we're going to go with what I got. So number nine. The novations also are condemned who would not absolve those who have fallen after baptism, though they returned to repentance. And this one is interesting to me because I think there is uh, glimpses of this in our culture where, okay, this person believed and when they fell, then clearly they didn't believe in the first place or something along those lines. What are other ways you've noticed something like this happen in those days and obviously today as well? Well, the, the the problem, okay, so here's the problem. What can happen is it, when it comes to sin itself, um, we can think about, you know, maybe like a white lie or just a, a, a sin that would be common amongst us all. And we can say, oh, yeah, those sins can be forgiven. Um, however, if a person sins in a way that's really grievous and very, very offensive to uh, perhaps, um, you know, a very offensive sin or perhaps maybe even a sin that's that that, that breaks a cultural norm, 
um, then in a way we oftentimes, and even us Christians do this, we want to withhold the absolution. Uh, we want to withhold the absolution as a form of punishment. Uh, we don't want to let them free. And in fact, I, I've been studying this here for, for a while here, this idea of, of forgiveness and, and, and uh, forgiveness between us as Christians. And I, I think there's a part of us as Christians, when somebody sins against us, we don't want them to be forgiven because we want to be able to take their sin and lord it over them. In fact, mm-hmm. this is how this is how shame works. So, for instance, let's just say between you and me, uh, Brady, let's just say you did something wrong to me, and um, then all of a sudden I'm offended. But then I then have what I have a, 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 a how would you say this? I have a I have a leverage on you. Let's just say it that way. I have some leverage on you because you sinned against me. Now I can use that tuck it in my back pocket, and I can use that to shame you, to get you to do what I want. So you offended me, so therefore you have to make it up. And now I'm in control of you, and I can use shame. Anytime you, 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 I want you to do something, I can remind you of that sin, which will incite your conscience to guilt. And then I can use that guilt and manipulate you to do what I want you to do, and you're in my back pocket. But if I absolve you, or you're absolved in Jesus, then you're free from my shame and free from my control. Um, and oftentimes what we want is we want people to be contrite of their sins, but then we want them to manifest a certain pattern or a certain amount of contrition and sorrow that suits our thirst for vengeance. And then once they've satisfied that vengeance, then we may relinquish, but oftentimes we don't because we want to keep them in the back pocket. We want to keep uh, in control of them. I, well, I, all I can say to that is, Lord have mercy, because... That is something that's very true in my own life when my wife or my children apologize. And I see this with other people when I do, when I am sorry for what I've done, that it is hard to say those simple words, I forgive you or you're forgiven. Because I think there's there's a lot in that is that now I have to forget this and I kind of like holding on to this and holding that over your head. So you are listeners, I would I would challenge you. We all have that tendency. In what ways have you done this? Which, once again, this is not us to try to make you feel worse for a longer time period, but it leads you to the forgiveness you have in Christ. The the ability that if Christ is able to forgive the sins of us, then therefore he also calls us to be forgiveness people, which we know from the office of the keys. So, I well, I'm convicted, and I, I need to go to my pastor here soon as well. So, <laughs> pastor, anything else on the novations? Yeah, I think I think I think that phrase there says yeah, they they they're, they're condemned are the novations who denied absolution to those who have sinned after baptism, and so it's the withholding of that absolution. Now, now keep in mind, um, you know, absolution, uh, forgiveness of sins, uh, should be withheld when a person is not contrite in their sins. Obviously, we, we don't want to throw pearls to swine. Obviously, um, but somebody who is contrite uh, has confessed their sins. Uh, what needs to happen for their own spiritual benefit and, and also for the clean conscience is for the absolution to be rushed into their ears and pronounced upon them into their ears, into their conscience, so that they may be set free in Jesus and to have the hope of Christ and that conscience be clean. But then again, anytime we deny that, um, my goodness, uh, we can have a lot of problems. And, and again, like I mentioned before, we, 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 we can sometimes try to deny that absolution uh, based upon a, a variety of reasons, but one thing I've noticed is that idea of shame and control. Um, and I, you know, I also, when I'm reading this, thinking about denying absolution, I can think about my own failures as a husband. And uh, there's been times where 
um, you know, I've, 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 I've had a, maybe a disagreement with my wife and I'll say, you know, X, Y, and Z. And she, she correctly pointed out here a while back. She said, no, no, no. She goes, I thought you forgave me for that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm such a sinner, Matt Richard. Um, yes, I did forgive her. And now what did I do? I drug it out of the, drug it out of the basement. I, I went, I basically went into Christ's grave and I found it and I drug it out and I held it in front of her to condemn her again when she's already forgiven in Jesus. And it's like, gosh, I have to apologize for that, for that too. She's so right. Oh, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for what? Taking a sin that you have forgiven and now dangling in front of my wife to get what? To even the score. Um, that's just how sinful we are on this and how much we need forgiveness ourselves. And so I've had to apologize a number of times where like, yeah, you know, you're right. You are forgiven in that. And forgive me for what? Not remembering or recalling or or, or intentionally with malice, bringing that back up to what toss in your face. And we all do that with all different aspects of life uh, with people we encounter. But when a person's forgiven before Christ Almighty, they are forgiven. And we have no right to go against that absolution and go dig that sin out of Christ's grave and dangle before their, their face. Because when we do that, we're doing the work of Satan. So let's continue to the end of our confession. Um, number 10, our churches also reject those who do not teach that forgiveness of sins comes through faith, but command us to merit grace through satisfactions of our own. They also reject those who teach that it is necessary to perform works of satisfaction commanded by church law in order to remit eternal punishment or the punishment of purgatory. These last two sections are definitely um, uh, to address a reality at that time and that place, and for us as well. But break that. What is he? What's he telling um, us and confessing among you know among many uh, Catholic people? Well, like we mentioned before at the very beginning, uh, we have to be careful that we we don't say that the amount of CCs that I cry, the the amount of contrition that I conjure up in myself is somehow meriting or. Um, it's an exchange where I exchange my tears for forgiveness that all of a sudden I'm doing some sort of barter exchange with God. So in other words, you know, if I really, really, really cry and I'm really, really, really sorrowful and I have this amount of CCs of tears that I can then come to Christ somehow and say, here, here's my sorrow. And now you owe me forgiveness on the basis of my sorrow. It doesn't work that way. Uh, when we do that, then forgiveness is based upon what? The amount of sorrow that we have. Then which raises the question, can I ever be truly sorrow enough? You know, uh, now on the other side, the flip side would be um, that we somehow have to what after, you know, we confess our sins that we somehow have to conjure up or do something on the flip side to 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 get this forgiveness. In other words, uh, you kind of get maybe a little bit of a down payment of forgiveness in Jesus. But now what in order to get it fully to stick, you have to show forth uh, certain satisfaction and other things that you do on the, the flip side, on the back side. Again, what that does is it takes the forgiveness which belongs to Jesus and him alone, and it attaches it to our sorrow or our um, satisfaction or what we do on the uh, on the backside. And then that actually blends the forgiveness of Jesus with the works of man, and we mess the whole thing up. Uh, so the point being is this, is forgiveness of sins belongs to Christ and his merit, and it's given to us as a gift, a free gift. It is given to a gift to sinners who repent, uh, who who are, uh, as my old professor used to say, are givable to, right? Uh, uh, sinners who are able to receive and are givable to. And, and uh, you know, we look at uh, the Psalms, right? Um, 
you know, a broken, contrite spirit, the Lord does not despise. Uh, he does not turn away, but uh, the Lord graciously uh, bestows forgiveness upon a broken and contrite spirit, uh, full stop. And then as we talked before, um, after we're forgiven and hear that forgiveness, the conscience is clean. Uh, there, there, There's a, a lightness in one step. Uh, there's hope uh, for tomorrow and then good fruit and uh, good works uh, spring from a clean conscience as gratitude and joy to one's neighbor uh, that that fruit of repentance uh, does come forth that way. I think the story that you mentioned prior really relates with this ideology where a person who had sins in the past and what they did their whole life is to try to make satisfaction for their sins. And, and that's something where we have to be careful as Christian people that we can fall into that, not only in how we speak, but how we live our lives, that are we living in, like you said, in a clear conscience that Christ has done it all for us, or are we living in, okay, maybe I have done enough. And so, Pastor, are there other ways that you see this kind of play out in our world today, what they're warning about? Well, and again, like I said, it comes back to um, perhaps, um, you know, the the before and after aspects, um, I think I think it's very very difficult for us to dictate exactly, um, you know, how repentance must manifest itself. In other words, uh, you know, a person has to have this kind of sorrow, this kind of tears, and so forth on the front end, or they must have what on the back end before we 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 relinquish um, that sin from them. But we have to understand that when it comes to repentance, repentance is agreeing with the scriptures what they say about us. Uh, it's agreeing with what the scriptures and our Lord Jesus Christ says about sin. And then the absolution is is hearing the gospel and believing for Christ's sake that we're actually forgiven. Um, and then living that life with the freedom of the gospel, um, free in Jesus, um, to free to love my neighbor. But then, like I said, then again, we can, if we don't hear the, the gospel, we don't uh, take it seriously, we uh, then we can live this life trying to atone or fix our past sins. And then we're essentially kicking Jesus out saying, you know, I got this. I'm going to make amends for it. Um, I'm going to repair this. And then, boy, that's a disaster because the conscience is unending. It will continually condemn uh, on that sin. There's no satisfaction. You can never do enough to completely erase uh, that stain of sin on the conscience. Only Christ does that. One question that comes to mind for me, you mentioned prior that we do not want to give forgiveness for those who are not contrite. The struggle that comes with this, and this is the pastoral um, struggle and also with our own homes, is how do you really know, Pastor, that that person's contrite? You know, are, are you, you know, how do you make sure that they are fully contrite? What would be your, your, your advice to somebody or what would be your counsel to somebody to actually know, is that person actually contrite? Are they actually wanting forgiveness or are they just going through the motions? Maybe worldly sorrow. How would you, any any thoughts on how we can make that distinction? Well, I would say two, two things. Number one, um, we have to think of, of Eighth Commandment. You know, it's putting the best construction. And so I, I think when a person confesses sin, I acknowledge sin, Eighth Commandment says that we, we have to put the best construction, that they're actually repentant. Uh, the second thing is, uh, when we confess our sins, we, we confess it with our mouths and we go on that basis. But then there's also an aspect, too, that in all of our confessions of sin, uh, they're kind of half-baked. 
And so I will confess according to my new nature in Christ that I'm sorry, but my old Adam is not going to want to admit that. In fact, um, I, I've often used this analogy at St. Paul's um, on Sunday mornings. When we all gather in that sanctuary, we have that opening hymn at St. Paul's that's basically for people who are late <laughs> to make it into the pew. And then and then the pastor starts by by making the sign of the cross and says, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. And then we confess our sins and we all stand together. Now, the pastor stands on the floor with the parishioners. And essentially what we're doing is we're, we're confessing our sin. We're dragging the old Adam up to that baptismal font. And the best part of the service, one of the best parts of the service for me is I get to go up by the font and I stand by the font and I place my hand on the font as I pronounce the absolution. In other words, we have gathered in the sanctuary. We've drugged that old Adam up to that baptismal font, thrown that old Adam into the water of the of, of our baptismal water, and the pastor places uh, that cross upon you and reminds you that your sins are forgiven, that you are baptized. And guess what happens? The old Adam's a good swimmer and is going to want to what? Jump out of the water, and it's over and over and over. So, I think I think we'd be foolish to to think that. Um, because of our sinful nature, that are um, that we're a hundred percent all the time contrite. Because there's always a part of us, that old Adam, that is not contrite, which is the reason why that old Adam needs to be uh, buried in Christ, and that uh, find its end. That old Adam find its end in faith in Jesus, and uh, that's where we pray to our Lord Jesus in uh, after receiving that absolution, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, um, as I war against this old Adam. Uh, that that does not want to repent and cannot repent, but needs to die. With about a minute, minute and a half left in our time, Jesus says very clearly, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Pastor, how would you encourage our listeners in Christ as they consider repentance in their own life and also the life in their church? Well, back to Psalm, the Psalms where it talks about the Lord does not despise a broken and contrite heart. And so often when, when, when it comes to a person who, you know, uh, comes and says, you know, I have failed in X, Y, Z, uh, we tend to, in our society, we say, well, ha, we got them, and we heap on condemnation on that person. And so in this world, it's often very, very difficult to, to come clean and confess because then that opens the door. We're vulnerable before a society and a culture that oftentimes will then use it as an opportunity to take cheap shots and grind it in and make sure we're really, really, really sorrowful. But our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he looks at those who are contrite in spirit, broken hearts, and he longs to pronounce forgiveness, uh, to absolve. Uh, you are forgiven. And as you are forgiven, then go and sin no more because you're forgiven. You belong to me. You're baptized. Um, all your sins, as far as the east is from the west, have been removed. Uh, though your sins are like scar the scarlet, they are, they are now white as snow. Uh, you have the rope of righteousness wrapped around you. You are forgiven. My son is home, right? All of these wonderful verses of the gospel. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, contrary to culture, contrary to our sinful Adam, when uh, there's contrition, uh, there's joy to pronounce forgiveness, joy to claim uh, that child back into the fold, joy to uh, uh, sustain and strengthen that child. And so our Lord never gets tired of forgiving. I've heard it said before that there's more forgiveness in Christ than there is sin in us, and that's true with this. It's so true. That's right. Well, thanks be to God. The Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, clearly confessing the biblical truth of repentance from the Augsburg Confession. Pastor Richard, thank you for being our guest. 
Yeah, not a problem. It's great. Thanks, Brady. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.